Hello everyone, welcome to Ayurvedic Healing and Beyond and this is your host Dr. Vignesh Devraj. Now today we have a very interesting and well-known guest, Mr. Gopi Kalel. He is the Chief Business Strategist of Artificial Intelligence at Google. Now he is also an avid yoga teacher, practitioner, a triathlete, public speaker and a global traveler. Now in addition to this, he is also the author of two books, The Happy Human and The Internet to Internet. And he has delivered multiple talks at the TEDx and World Happiness Summit. Now today we are going to discuss a very relevant question on how to take personal responsibility of your health while we live in overflowing abundance and innovative technologies. Now we hope you enjoy this episode and now we go over to Gopi Kalail. Gopi, thank you for being part of this podcast and I'm so looking forward for this conversation with you. And so glad that you could make it to Trishur and to Sitaram. So how has your treatment and time in Sitaram been so far? Sure. Well, thank you, Dr. Vignesh. <laughs> it's a pleasure and honor to be on your uh, podcast. Uh, I have had a fantastic time. I've been coming to Sitaram many years, but this year in particular, it felt really good. I feel restored, rejuvenated, and relaxed. Gobi, you know, one thing that fascinates me about you, you know, uh, every time when I connect with you in WhatsApp or when I see your posts in social media, you, I see you in different time zones. Like sometimes I see you in Saudi Arabia and then next I see you in Dubai, next I see you some other edge of the planet giving a talk and then you look young. Uh, of course, you know, for me, I have... I am young. Uh, 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 <laughs> you're absolutely young. I mean, usually when I see people who travel this much yeah. and still able to keep up that vitality it's it's a it's a tough trade trade off you know to yeah. uh, the once you get into so much of travel you are actually trading off your health yeah. that's what many people say too much of traveling and too much of commitments it actually takes a zaps a vitality out of you yeah. but you still keep that up and that's what i want of course i have a confirmed bias and i can say you're doing ayurveda and but i want to know more it's much more than that ayurveda it just gives you like two weeks of treatments but of course there are many aspects that you follow in your life yeah and i want to go deeper into it what keeps you mentally and physically like awake in this difficult times you know and you spoke in ted and you have a high you know high demanding job in google and you're a well renowned speaker around the globe all of this, how do you keep it up? Well, thank you for saying that. At the end of the year, uh, this past year, December, so some of the flight here, I kind of looked back at the year and thought about what I had done over 12 months. And one of the facts I looked at was I'd actually been to 15 countries mm -hmm. and as far apart as Australia and Singapore and uh, Italy and Spain and, of course, US and Mexico, uh, Argentina, Chile. <laughs> yeah, so... You're almost right. Almost on the edge of the planet. Exactly. <laughs> I've really roamed the planet. Uh, partly, I like it. I like exploring the whole globe. Partly also, my it's my job that took me to most of these places. So it is true that uh, I go about, and therefore, all the more reason, I keep thinking about how to be high-functioning even as I travel. Mm -hmm. And it needs a couple of things in order for you to operate. First, you need to have some ruthless prioritization or lifestyle and health. And the second is you need some daily habits mm -hmm. that you can follow and even tiny daily rituals, I would say, that is sort of built into your life even as you travel or even when you're not traveling. And most important, it was the fact that years ago I recognized the fact that my most important resource in the job while I go through doing all of the things that you talked about, whether doing my full-time Google job or being on a TEDx stage or writing my next book, all of it has to come from this container. Mm -hmm. My mind, my body, my brain, my breath, my consciousness, I call it my inner net, which was partly the title of my first book. And there was this recognition that this is my most important resource from which comes all of these self-expression. And therefore, if I take care of it and put into a state of peak performance, I'll be able to operate at a peak state. Hmm. And I remember you have a, when we were having a conversation, you spoke about an example that you gave when you met Sadhguru. Yeah. And then you're saying, uh, okay, this is a bread, but whatever it is that I'm consuming, or it's a broccoli, that broccoli, whatever I'm yeah. consuming, 
this is what is going to convert whatever experience i have it outside so everything is going to be filtered through this correct so i think that's exactly what you're saying right here yeah. like as long as we take care of this filter and i think everything can be filtered the way we want it in a healthier way or it could be a self destructive way i guess yeah yeah um yeah so referring back to that conversation and for those of you who don't know ignatius referring to sadguru jaggi vasudev the mystic and the founder of isha yoga i happened to have a conversation with him when he was visiting google at one point and at the time he introduced the course or the work or the teaching that he has inner engineering the yes. inner engineering and he explained why he calls it inner engineering and it was in that context he said you have to understand that this container or body and everything else inside the body including the cognitive functions and the emotional functions etc in totality is not only a giant filter of mm-hmm. all of our life experience he said it is the most sophisticated chemical factory and no one had framed it in those terms but now that i've gone and studied it further it is totally fascinating for example when you eat a piece of fruit if you analyze on a chemical basis what happens immediately after that to all of the chemicals that get produced and go all over your body and start interacting with your different organs it is fascinating mm-hmm. and most of us don't even understand it even the names of the chemicals that get created uh are hard to pronounce and yet it is happening inside of a body all the time and that's when he held up the piece of broccoli and said even this piece of broccoli when you eat it your body has to process it and convert it into nutrients and uh it becomes different parts of your body it could end up in your blood it could end up in your liver and depending on what you eat this can have good or detrimental effects and he says that's why he called the course inner engineering because you look at the body as this giant chemical factory and machine and using an engineer's way of thinking you can move it to great performance or if you ignore it and do the wrong things the machine underperforms and eventually in uh, many people's cases it shuts down completely mm-hmm. uh yeah so that was like the original uh, prompt to my thinking that this is a fascinating way to look at our body and our functions and that we have some ability to control it using a variety of choices starting with the food you put into your body and now that you know you are somebody at the top level dealing with the artificial intelligence in google sure and knowing you know somebody who who is also spiritually grounded who practices yoga and there are certain things that cannot be replicated by machines like what our brain does and what our mind does but what artificial intelligence does today you know it actually blows people's mind but sometimes people think if we constantly use that are we going to lose our intelligence yeah and that's a question that we all are having and how to keep up this intelligence and at the same time use it for our benefit so that we keep our intelligence at the same time we use the artificial intelligence for our benefit yeah so how would you how what's your take on this good yeah so first of all i think of artificial intelligence as one of the most powerful the most powerful technology innovation that human beings have come with come up with i put it on the same uh, level as a once in a century innovation that comes up uh, every 100 years or so mm-hmm. so in 17 sorry 14 something 52 or around that period was joseph gutenberg with the printing press and then i think it might have been in the uh, 17th century when electricity was discovered and then he come all the way to the uh 1890s or so when the automobile was created and once in a hundred years we get one of those kind of innovations and i put artificial intelligence in that particular category there is this notion will it replaces i believe it'll actually amplify us it'll mm. make human beings even more capable than than we are and to understand that notion of amplification i want you to think about locomotion how humans move so when we are babies we crawl in our parents living room when later on we learn to walk unsteadily then finally we discover running and we are capable of running and when we run we realize we can go faster but there's only so fast we can go so far we can go mm. and there's the magic moment when someone in your family teaches you how to ride a bicycle and you're still using your legs that you used in running no external power 
but you're using two wheels and a gear system and a saddle and a handlebar. And now you can go further and faster than you've ever gone before. Mm -hmm. It's amplified our locomotion. It hasn't replaced us. In the same way, I think of artificial intelligence as making us even more capable and, uh, uh, and enhances our ability to both live a higher quality of life and solve problems on a grand scale. So I am very, very optimistic about it. Even before you get to artificial intelligence, just take a look at what the internet has done. In 1994, the browser got created, which allowed ordinary consumers to interact with the internet. And since then, we've had uh, tremendous capabilities like search, for example, that allows any human being on the planet who can interact with any digital device that's connected to the internet, look up huge amounts of information that is publicly available mm -hmm. and get to specifically what they want. Or look at a platform like YouTube. The amount of videos that gets uploaded, it's a collective creative effort of humanity sitting there. Mm -hmm. And you as an individual can go learn a new language or how to uh, cook avial or learn to play the guitar or piano in no time. Right? It's enhanced our ability to learn and become so much more smarter. It hasn't made us less intelligent. If at all anything, I think, if you look at human beings operating now, they are much more capable of doing things that our ancestors could not do or a generation ago could not do. Even something as simple as navigation. Uh, I travel around the world, I pull out my phone, and I can go from the airport in uh, Zagreb to Spit uh, in Croatia, just driving on my own without asking anybody for directions. So it's enhanced my ability to get around the world in a way that you know, my parents could not have imagined. It's not made me less smarter. I think it's made me more smarter, more capable. And the same way artificial intelligence expect our ability to do things to be scaled quite dramatically. Mm. So I'll give you an example of that. It's AI-powered tools based on AI, power, AI concepts like machine learning that has created translation tools. So on my phone, if I'm carrying Google Translate, I can go to different parts of the world and get whatever I say. We use that all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly, into 144 languages. And it is AI at work in a practical sense, 144 languages. Most humans speak only one language maybe two or three. I happen to speak five by an accident of fate because I grew up in India where you're forced <laughs> to learn many languages. But now all of a sudden, this device allow me, allows me to speak to someone in languages like uh, Twi and Guarani and Sedehi and Maitonin, languages I had not even heard of. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I was at the Bangalore airport a few weeks ago and then I asked one of the young women working in the lounge there and she said she's from... Uh, Mizoram, uh, or Manipur, sorry, Manipur in India, and they speak Maitoni in Manipur. So I pulled out my phone, I started talking to her in English and was translating in Maitoni. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I now have the capability to communicate to people all these languages. So now I can actually talk to 99% of the human population in their language, whether it's Arabic or Spanish. That has enhanced my ability as a communicator. It has not replaced me. I still am the source of the original idea of the expression, but this AI-powered tool allows me to talk uh, with ease. Without It takes the friction away. Mm -hmm. So this is what I mean by I see it as an enhancer and a booster. I can talk of many examples in healthcare and weather prediction uh, and scientific innovation or gaming, etc. And it just blows my mind what would be possible, the kind of innovation I expect to see because we now have AI-powered capability 10, 15, 20 years from now. Like my nephew is like five years old yeah. and he he has a good ability to converse right now. So yeah. when this I tell Jan him- This is son? Yeah, Jan He's already five? <laughs> five, yeah. <laughs> so when I'm explaining to him, yeah. there was a time without any mobile phones yeah. and they look like, how is that possible? Correct. Like, yeah. how did people communicate now? Yeah. He's so used to, like, uh, I want to talk to somebody on phone and, you know, you could have a video call on that and you could see the other person. Yeah. Previously, in our generation, we see that in James Bond movies or some yeah. 
psychic spiritual person who has the ability to have a trans you know ability to see somebody else through some extra uh, superpowers yeah. that's what we saw in movies like that yeah. was something like a fiction now today right. it's a reality that yeah. we see because of that yeah he could be wandering <laughs> on the street and a call comes and he hit a button and then someone standing in Krakow Poland is talking <laughs> to you and you're able to see them and and gobi yes it's so true that you know the life is one of the best currently what we see today compared to what it was i'm sure we would have enough research to prove that we live in one of the best times in humanity than before yeah. even though there's a lot of news that talks about uh, but history has been filled with a lot of that as well but in such a time we also see that there's a lot of people having emotional health issues so what is your guidance for that you know on one hand we live with more opportunities than ever which any human could have ever faced in their history yeah like uh, i think it's it's in one of your speeches that i heard you're speaking that fisherman in india has the same access to what bill clinton had 3 decades ago i think yeah. it was in your speech that you gave in sitaram and that's the that's where the world has leveled today correct but on the other hand we are taking things for granted and the emotional health and the mental health has taken its toll as well so what would be your take on how can people be sane in such a world where we have so many opportunities and uh, we have this constant feeling of fomo and how can i find myself and keep my intuition and my yeah. my own inner intelligence you know stable yeah um so first of all in terms of us living one of the best we're living in one of the best times this is true in my belief and i would agree if you in my book actually the happy human i have mm-hmm. a whole chapter dedicated to it even though because of all of the technologies there's a tendency that we can look at news from all over the world and the news generally amplifies the negative news because that's what gets attention and that's okay but if you look at fundamental parameters though so if you look at quality of life index mm-hmm. uh issued by say the united nations and look at what that number is today on average in the world versus what it was 100 years ago every single metric actually it has increased mm. uh life expectancy for example infant mortality if you look at how many people actually are hungry or how many people are educated and are literate all of those basic metrics the quality of life is shifted it seems slow progress but if you look over a century or so given the fact that humans in the modern form have lived 150000 years on this planet and therefore 100 years is a very small amount we have made progress and now that progress is actually accelerating it's an exponential form correct yeah and in the last 30 years uh, a billion people have come up about the basic living index or poverty mm-hmm. line as we call it because of economic development primarily in china southeast asia india etc so overall quality of life is improving it doesn't mean that we haven't solved all the problems we still have a lot of fundamental problems but the arc of humanity is tending towards a better quality of life for many people if not most and finally we we hope we'll get to a point all people right so that is uh, tremendous and all of these technologies as i said have amplified and made our life dramatically different but your question is in the midst of it we still have a lot of issues like emotional health and mental health issues and that's because even as we make progress on an external basis with all of these technologies some other things remain fundamentally the same and the essential nature of us as human beings is not changing at the same pace and that hasn't changed mm-hmm. so for example if you just look at how a human being is created and a baby is born that is unchanged and you can on the edges you might be able to think about the process but there is a fundamental way another simple fascinating thing that i found is we can make a lot of progress in terms of communication like you said the ability to get on a video call and talk to anywhere on the planet with a little device the deck of a size of playing cards that's f- amazing right it's we didn't have it yes. and it's only 16 years that we've had this when the first smartphones came in mm-hmm. fact the fr- the actual ability to jump on a video call and speak from a mobile device is even less not even less a single digit 5 7 years ago we were able to do it mm-hmm. so 
this is tremendous that we, and now that capability is available for almost zero cost for much of the world's population. But in the midst of it, if you look at basic concepts like nutrition, I always tell my yoga students this, one thing that has not changed for our entire lifetime is for us to be truly nourished, we still have to go and eat something that grew on a plant in the same way that it grew 500 years ago. You know, if it takes a tomato to ripen on the wine in a certain amount of time, you can't really mess with that process and you have to get the tomato. You cannot engineer it in a factory. If you try to do it, and people have tried to do it, it has tremendous, terrible, it does Effects. terrible things to your Side effects, body yeah. and your condition, right? So there are some fundamental laws of nature that seem to be immutable. And I would put emotional and mental health into those categories. Mm. Yes, we can make all of these progress, but there are certain things uh, loss of nature or human existence that are immutable. And if you don't stick to it and follow it, then it is going to affect your mental and emotional health in a negative way. Hmm. So one of the paradoxical situations is as life progresses, as there is more innovation and modernization, yes, our life is indeed getting better on many dimensions. It is getting better in terms of travel, transportation, healthcare, access to education, ability to communicate people across vast distances, access knowledge, all of that is getting better. Less friction in the financial system, uh, doing transactions around the world by just using a phone, all of that is well and good. But in the midst of it, if you don't do certain practices to take care of your mental, emotional health, it will start having an effect. And this changed life actually is preventing us, or it's easy to fall off the wagon. Hmm. Uh, so an example of that is, if I look at the rhythm of my life, of my grandparents just two generations ago, they lived in a small village near here, Palakar, yes. Exactly, right? And when I'd stay with my grandparents, there was this evening ritual. I would remember my grandmother lighting a lamp at sunrise, honoring the sunrise. There was a certain rhythm. And... Electricity was minimal there. It was there when I was young. They didn't have when they were growing up. So their rhythm of life would change around darkness, for example. And things would quieten down. And they would go to bed pretty early. And they would wake up with the sun. Because that's what the life in the village forced them to do without electricity. Or even when electricity came, it was bare minimal. The lights were dim. The voltage was not very high. And many days, it would not even be there. We were mm -hmm. in darkness operating with kerosene lamps. So... It forced them to stick to a rhythm around nature, which you know it's super important. But now, with you know bright lighting and access to digital media all the time, it's easy to get into a habit of staying up till two in the morning and watching live esports if you want to, and the rhythm is all gets upset. And it's your choice, but if you do that, then. Uh, it starts having an effect on your body, yes. health, on your, first, your the physical and health, health and, and then yeah. mental and emotional. You know this well. You talk about it. Same way with the food system, right? And just to think about it, again, I was thinking about you know, my grandparents because of where they lived. In their entire life, they'd never eaten processed food. <laughs> it didn't exist. Because it, it didn't exist. It didn't exist. There was right? no choice. It didn't, there was no refrigerator. <laughs> exactly. Okay? So the refrigerator meant they were forced never to eat frozen food ice creams, et cetera, right? Those kind of desserts. And I'm not saying the life was any better. I'm just comparing the two states. But now uh, there is more conveniences that these technologies have brought for us, which is fantastic. Like now most everyone about certain uh, quality of life will have access to a refrigerator. So it's easy to get like a tub of ice cream from the supermarket <laughs> put in there. And then you're consuming that kind of food way too much than what your grandparents did, right? And technology enables us. Or another example is fast food is very, very accessible. It's convenient. It's called convenient food. And now we use our smart devices as a remote control to the world. You click it three times and uh, food arrives. And often the food that arrives is not necessarily the healthiest for your body and right? with what comes from uh, fast comfort food. comfort food and exactly. high carbs, high processed. So, 
so many aspects of our life get affected by this. And if you don't address some factors, you are bound to have emotional, mental health issues. If you don't have access to sunlight, you don't exercise regularly, if you're socializing less with the support group that you need to. So I would attribute a lot of this to that changed lifestyle, not to mention life is fast-paced and our body needs to slow down, rest and restore and unplug, mm-hmm. uh, disconnect from the internet and as my book as I say, reconnect your inner net. <laughs> and on a daily basis you need to do it. So a lot of those kind of changes are not there or even if people are aware, it is so easy to miss out on it. I think uh, listening to, uh, you know, how you are saying the, the, the to do a video call, we are just in a single digit years. Yeah. Like, actually, I think we belong to that transit generation. Correct. So I think we will face more problems because somewhere we are also confused with the world before that and yeah. how it used to be and we see this. So our brain is trying to process where that side and this side can match and exactly. bridge. Yeah. And uh, like I always say in my speeches, like in Ayurveda, it is mentioned as the quality of the society or the culture gets better. The problems of abundance will become more. Yeah. Like as uh, like... Today, we don't have scarcity problems. We are having abundance problems. Yeah. The most of, um, there are problems of scarcity sure. for sure. But when you see, like one of the questions I always ask, how many of you know people who died in their close circles because they didn't have food? Mm. Many of them died because of cancer or heart attack or yeah. stroke or cancer. or It's all because of overconsumption and having too many options in life. Correct. So somewhere, I think the future of healthcare, I think I want to come back to one of your points that you always emphasize in your talks about um, the, the McKinsey report that you speak about. I think the future of healthcare, it comes down to a person's ability to say no, at the same time, appreciate and access the the new technologies that the world is giving us, yeah. like the artificial. I think the inner intelligence that is, so for example, you a technology can never replace the exercise that we we are bound to do. Yeah. Maybe you will have technology to have a better facility to do exercise, but you still have to do that. Yeah. A technology can never replace circadian rhythm. Like you still have to follow that. Yeah. And that's where I think maybe we have the medical devices, innovations to help you come out of many emergency problems, but certain things you just have to live with that. Correct. And I think that's one of the things that you talk in your Happy Human and also in one of your speeches. So, Gobi, could you just talk about this McKinsey report that you talk, talk about this health? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I was fascinated by this report when it came out. So you work for McKinsey. I work well. for McKinsey, <laughs> so I get these reports. And the McKinsey Health Institute uh, released this report in December 2022. And the title of the report is The Secret to Great Health, Escape the Healthcare Metrics. Mm-hmm. And it's a very well-written report. And... Uh, analyzed with a lot of data backup in a way that McKinsey is extremely good at. So I read the report multiple times and there are many aspects of the report that jumped out, but I want to talk about one. And in that report, they say health is not simply the absence of disease. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, a lot of people would often define health as, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. I don't have to go to see a doctor. I'm not bedridden. <laughs> exactly. Right? I don't have any ailment and therefore I am healthy. Whereas McKinsey says, no, actually health should be defined as a human being operating in a peak state across all dimensions of the life. And then they wrote about the dimensions specifically they called out. They said at a physical level, meaning your body's high functioning, the physicality of your body. They talked of mental level, your mental health. They talked of uh, social health, where you, how you live and operate in relation to the social structure and network that you're part of, both work, home, and in community. And the fourth dimension they talked about is spiritual health, mm-hmm. your sense of mission and purpose and a connection to something bigger and larger than yourself. And it was fascinating that a strategy consulting company of the repute of McKinsey was looking at all of the dimensions, including spiritual health, Mm -hmm. which for a long time, a lot of people would not touch or address, at least in those kind of settings. It then went on to say that there are 23 factors that drive our health that are important to address. And if you manage and are cognizant of these 23 factors, 
and take the right steps, it'll contribute to your good health. And the 23 factors with things like mobility, exercise, sleep, nutrition, exposure to um, chemicals, etc. The environment, do you have physical security? Do you have emotional security? Do you have a sense of purpose about your life? Your use of substances or, or uh, not thereof? Mm -hmm. And then access to other modern healthcare aspects like vaccination, diagnosis, uh, intervention if there is a problem, adherence to those uh, healthcare recommendations. So they looked at 23 factors. And the thing that struck out, struck in my head was that what people associate with what they get out of healthcare system, only three or four of the factors. So when you have a serious problem, of course, you have to get a diagnosis and you need, you seek intervention, nothing wrong with that. But a lot of the things that actually drove good health off the list of 23 comes from your personal lifestyle choices or comes from other organization institutions that uh, might teach you about it and follow it. But with almost all of them, it turned out you have to make some choices. Mm. You can learn about it. There is an operating manual that you can look at that somebody else has put together, but you must take the right steps. So one way of looking at modern life is for the first time, uh, humanity has the ability where you can wear like a smart watch and it tells you or just carry your phone with you. At the end of the day, it says how many steps you took. And there is a general guideline that 10,000 steps a day is a good metric. But most people did not know. My grandparents probably walked much more. They didn't have a car. So they walked everywhere to their fields. They walked to the temple. They had to walk to the bus stop a mile to get into a bus. Not very convenient, but they had a lot of mobility. But they had no idea how many steps that they took. Now we can count. Mm. And then you can say, oh, I haven't walked enough steps. Let me walk some more. But the act of actually get, putting on your shoes and getting out of the door and walk it has to be done by you. No one else can do it for you and no one, you can't outsource it. So there is that motivation. Same way with food. There are so many tools available now on your phone that can look at your food and count your calories and tell you if, you know, if you're having enough protein or if you're in a fiber, etc. So you get the data back and if you have an understanding of what the macros you should be eating are, you can take corrective action. But you have to take that corrective action, which means you have to say yes to some food that is right for you and you have to say no to most things that exist in the food system that clearly are not right for you. So there is enormous amount of personal responsibility, unconditional personal responsibility that is involved in following these principles. The knowledge is there, the technology is there, the capability is there. Do you have the will and the discipline to actually take those steps then become even more important? Uh, so going back to the McKinsey report, I looked at so many elements. Uh, they're easy to follow. The concepts are pretty simple, but you must follow it. And you can use all of these aids to do it. So starting with nutrition, for example, you're right. There is an abundance of food out there. In fact, we've reached a situation on the planet where I think there's enough food for everyone. Uh, yeah, it's a poverty is a, uh, a question of... Uh, what they say, poverty is just a question of making sure that we have the correct distribution of wealth in correct. the right way. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So, I remember a famous quote for by Gandhi where he said, you know, there is enough for everyone's need, there is not enough for, for everyone's greed. greed. <laughs> and so we uh, generate, the planet actually grows enough food for all of humanity mm. to eat. But today, 975 million people will be hungry. Hmm. And it's not that they don't have food to eat, but the distribution of food um, and how what we do with it, there are things to be fixed. And now we're getting into other systems. Political systems have, as well. <laughs> correct, yeah, tariffs and uh, how food moves. Or even simple fact that one-third of the food we grow goes straight from farm to waste. Hmm. If you look at the restaurant food that gets thrown out. So there is lots of things in the food system that contributes to the problem. But getting back to the, the health concept, personal yes. health concept, 
uh, not uh, stray off into other topics. I remember you telling me once that there is problems of overnutrition and problems of undernutrition. And there are a lot of problems caused by overnutrition and incorrect nutrition, like obesity or your uh, body fat percentage, uh, sugar level, insulin resistance, diabetes, uh, even inflammation, so many things. Right? And he said, I remember you telling me very clearly, it is harder to correct problems of overnutrition than it is to correct problems of undernutrition. So a century ago, we might have had more problems of undernutrition because people starved not enough food. And now with the food revolution and other technology, agriculture innovation that we've had, that we've taken care of that. And now we have this abundance and overnutrition. Right? And I think that's where, you know, the holistic approach like Ayurveda is getting more and more relevant because exactly, it, yeah. it, it understands the fundamentals so clearly. Correct. And yeah. that's where more people are coming back to the nature and coming back to the basics. Totally, yeah. I, I would agree with you. I mean, when I, you know, when I speak to some of my good friends who are allopathic doctors, yeah. the kind of, you know, the, the training that they undergo is inhuman. Like, inhuman in the sense that, you know, the the, res the medical residency, the emergency management, and they go in depth with every organ and to understand how yeah. to... And if you look at what is the allopathic system's main motive, and if you look at the origin of allopathic system, it actually comes from the, the humanity's question, how can I prevent deaths? Yeah. So that's why when you talk about the McKinsey's report, where are the current healthcare that is actually contributing? Yeah. It is so fantastic when it comes to preventing death. Yeah. But the quality of life, it takes a completely another approach and dimension to take it to another level. Yeah. So I think that's why it comes down to your choices, the habits that you're going to yeah. take it further, and how you you know how it how you make it easier to fight the genetic cravings for you know we are actually designed to eat too much sweet, salt, and fat. Yeah. When we were designed. Uh, 200,000 years ago. That's how we were designed. But today yeah. we have that in abundance and that is one of the biggest cause of death and many of the non-communicable diseases. Correct. So we have to find that thin line where I appreciate the abundance but I also live my ancestral <laughs> uh, good life like our grandfathers did. Yeah. So some bad news for you there, Vignesh. You know, <laughs> the same report mentions this fact that our life expectancy on average has gone up. Yes. And uh, unless I look at the exact report right now, the, the exact numbers, I might get it wrong, but I believe it said it was around 60 on average around the world. I mean, we have been designed to live for just 30 to 40 years. Yeah. But now we now it's expect to or 70 or 80 and people are thinking, I want to die. But around the world, I think from what I remember when I read the report, it said life expectancy mm. 76. So it's gone up by about 16 years. Half of our life for most people around the world will be spent in poor or lowered quality of health. Mm. That hasn't changed. So if we are living longer, like say 76, we're still going to spend half of the time in poor or lowered quality of health, unless you're very, very conscious about your health and take steps to prevent that. This means we're going to spend even more years in ill health mm. than what happened two generations. Because ago. longevity is more. Correct, longevity is more and poor health. And also when the longer, when he said 80s, et cetera, there are some diseases that specifically kick in at the time, like things that affect memory, uh, is more likely to affect more people. Cancer mobility issues. And, mobility issues, mm -hmm. et cetera, right? Because they come in later years and we're living longer. So unless you there's a specific strategy to start addressing those and preventing that, we'll see more people struggling with lowered health in later years in life as they live longer. So that is the bad news that the report talks about mm. and uh, that we need to have a fairly good strategy to address that. And part of that is early education intervention of people, what what to do with some basics around nutrition, exercise, exactly. sleep. Mm -hmm. I think it's also a cultural uh, thing. Like when you go to certain communities, you see that living to 80 and 100 is quite normal. And, and if you try to dissect is it just genetics? Yes, genetics plays a role. But mm -hmm. I think it's your culture and how you're trained to eat healthy and your ability to say no effortlessly to the unhealthy. I think that plays sure, such an yeah. important 
roll in your longevity. Yeah, blue zone stocks yeah, about that. Exactly. Right? <laughs> and uh, and there are other factors that normally we don't associate with good health, but that actually makes a big difference. So, for example, in the Okinawa region, mm-hmm. one of the drivers is the concept of Moai. Moai is a small group of five or six friends mm-hmm. who have stayed friends for their entire life. They might have been little kids in the same neighborhood and then went to school together and young adults, they together at each other's wedding. And as they grow old, they're still the same five or six. They meet every week and talk about their lives and they've seen ups and downs and illnesses and tragedies, and uh, but they are the support system. And they said that Moai makes a big difference to the quality of health. Mm. And according to the book, it's contributed to their long life. So it's... A community plays an important yeah, pillar in correct. longevity. Which is when the McKinsey Report, they, one of the sections, sections they specifically talk about is uh, social connections mm. and how it impacts an entire category they address like social health. In fact, you know, if you take the word communication community commune yeah. it all has a similar thing so Correct. we feel safe when we have a community yeah so that safety net like we are actually hunter gatherers and we were associated to be part of the tribe yeah so that that's a genetic need in all of us that absolutely we need to keep it yeah and i when you look forward gopi so you lived that pre-internet era and as you always talk i work for a small company called google <laughs> <laughs> And you see how the AI is taking forward. And, you know, you work with many other companies that collaborates with Google. Where do you see the world is going now? Now, why I'm asking, you will see when people are following the news, a lot of fear-mongering happening. But on the other hand, when you look back at history, we are actually evolving to one of the best species. Yes, there's a lot of hate and other things like we spoke about. There's still 1 million people, 1 billion people close to poverty still were hungry. But on the other hand, uh, it's not a, a, you know, ignorant um, optimism, but let's look at the reality. Let's call a spade a spade. And where do you see the world going? Yeah. So I personally, and I'm always optimistic about these things, I imagine and see a better world with a higher quality of life for many more people than we have uh, ever experienced. Mm. And all of these technologies will address and uh, create solutions to problems that we've had dealt with as a human race. So I am very, very positive uh, because I believe the arc of human existence always veered towards creating a better conditions, better quality of life. Mm. If you look at three fundamental things that have shifted over, let's say, 50 years or so, most of humanity have accepted this. And this is the first is uh, war, uh, sorry, peace as a better way of existence than war. Mm-hmm. For the sure, amount yes. of conflicts. There is conflict there today, no denying it, but it's not at the scale at which it used to happen before. Because most people are like, I'd rather not uh, go to war. I'd rather peacefully coexist is the general uh, notion for most people. Second is democracy as the primary way by which we want to govern ourselves. That's generally been accepted. And the number of countries that follow that is much more than we have ever had in history. And the third is um, uh, capitalism is the best form of economic organization. We've tried many other systems, but this model seems to work first. And it's gone all the way to even like countries like China now embracing it. It has got its uh, pros and cons, but still among all of the systems, this is better than the other imperfect systems is sort of the notion, right? So there's three big concepts like that that I think around the world that has been embraced for the most part. And with all of these kind of innovations, we will continue to solve problems on a very large scale and uh, make tremendous amount of progress. I'll give you one example, since you specifically asked about AI, and I'll use a Google example. So Google DeepMind uh, solved what is called the protein fold problem Mm -hmm. using AlphaFold, that is a specific solution. So let me explain it to you and to people listening to it, because it can be a little dense and complex. Proteins are the fundamental building blocks of our human existence, not just human, everything. This plant has proteins, animals have proteins, And 
they're like tiny nanomotors in our body that govern many functions, including the production of insulin or what happens in your brain when you have various responses. They keep there are these proteins all over the body with specialized functions. In nature, there are 200 million proteins mm-hmm. in our body, in our plant, in animals, etc. In the human body, there are 20,000. So if we know what these proteins are and what they do, we can address many issues of plant, human, and animal health. But it's been very complex and hard to study proteins by traditional biology. So to give you an example, it typically would take a PhD student studying proteins, an entire PhD, to study and document one single protein, five years. And as a result, till recently, of the 20,000 or so proteins in the human body, only about 17% were known and studied and well documented. Mm -hmm. And across nature, only 4%. And I can tell you there are not that many professional biologists you know, going towards that career to study proteins. So we were flying a little blind, addressing many disease issues or addressing human and plant health issues. So a team at Google DeepMind said, let's use machine learning techniques to solve for this problem. And they did. In four years, they were able to, using machine learning, decode every single protein. And not only did they do it, it's now freely available. You could pull out your phone and go to the AlphaFold database. They open sourced it. Mm-hmm. Type in the name of a protein and get information you want. And now a million professional biologists are using this information. So you can imagine a future where we now understand all these proteins and what these professional biologists and other researchers and people in the pharma world and medicine world will do with that as they address many, many things that we do not know to solve for, from diseases to accelerated growth or better quality of function of an organ or a plant, make it bloom, etc., that presumably this knowledge of what proteins can do. So that's a great example of how we empowered human beings. Mm-hmm. And not only did we solve this use of machine learning four years, but we made it freely available for everyone to use. Uh, another example of that is GraphCast. So one of the most complex problems humans have had throughout history is to solve for the weather. Mm. Predicting the weather is hugely important because if we can predict the weather accurately, you decide what to wear, you decide what the transportation situation will be to get from place A to place B, air traffic control, airline schedules, farming uh, protocol, and if the weather is going to be bad, emergency response, right? evacuating people and putting in place uh, enough equipment and emergency workers to respond to the catastrophes that's going to be unleashed by bad weather. But we have a hard time predicting it accurately. So GraphCast is another weather prediction model that a team has Google built using, again, machine learning techniques, looking at weather patterns over whatever time in history we've had. And it actually predicts weather. We, it's now become the most accurate predictor of weather for medium term, up to 10 days. Mm. And this, again, is like open source and available. So now we can imagine the kind of next level applications that will get built using a tool like that that will help organizations around the world to do their jobs much better, whether it's transportation or agriculture or emergency response. So this raises that human ability to deal with our environment better. Things that you could not control in the past. Correct, yeah, yeah. Uh, So these are two examples. And I can give you 2,000 such examples that will be out there that technologies like AI will help us do. And what human beings are capable with that is going to be tremendous. And you speak about metals. Yeah. That's something that is very close to your structure of a day. Yes. I think that is going to be, uh, no matter how much progress we have, these are the basics that you have to stick to. Absolutely. That's one thing that... Can you speak about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, So it all started with couple years ago when I had uh, a health crisis, a a mental health situation, and I remember calling you and talking to you about it, asking for help and guidance, where um, the brain is also an organ and it can not function at the level at which you want. And so I had mental health issues. And in response to that, 
I started addressing it, working with a team of experts in different domains to help me with that. Basically, mm -hmm. assembled a team and said, I've got this problem. I'm not as high functioning as I used to be, and I want to address it and solve for it. So I approached it with an analytical mind uh, like engineers would do. In fact, I had a whole project management spreadsheet about who I have to talk to and what they're recommending and triangulating it back and putting together my own treatment plan with the advice of all these people around me, uh, whether it was to do with exercise or sleep or nutrition, or medication, etc. So coming out of that, I realized there were certain things if I do on a daily basis, it made me feel better mm -hmm. and it seemed to solve for this particular problem. And uh, so I actively made some lifestyle changes. In order to remember it and be able to articulate it, I came up with this formula called metals. So metals are, think of the metals that you get when you run a race, a half marathon or something. In fact, to remind me of the metals mnemonic, I do have, I place a medal at my workplace and at my home that I got in the past by racing the San Francisco half marathon or mm -hmm. uh, I run, I used to run, but very slowly, uh, but I still used to get to the finish line. So I've got a bunch of medals and I've hanged them up. Medals, M-E-D-A-L-S stands for eight daily practices for me. And I tell people, give yourself medals. And they say, so what does it mean? They say, this is what it means. M for meditation, some amount of daily pausing and centering yourself, grounding yourself. E for exercise, your body likes movement, something you taught me that phrase. So move your body in whatever way that you enjoy. It could be walk, for me to swimming, interval training, and triathlons, uh, or yoga, actually, a big part of it. Three, D is for diet. Diet not as in dieting, but nutrition. Be conscious of what you put into your body and how much you put, and also some understanding of why you put it. Mm -hmm. So you treat food as medicine and... Uh, have a healthy reverence for nutrition in a very, very conscious way. So that's D. Uh, a is for an attitude of gratitude or appreciation. So every day you think of all the amazing things that are going on in your life and it shifts your energy of your brain from getting too anxious about all the problems that may be going on to actually pausing and celebrating to the amazing things that are going on. And then we are to L. L stands for two things. So first is love specifically self-love, the 100% radical acceptance of yourself exactly as you are with all your uh, skills and talents and, or as John Legend would say, perfect imperfections mm -hmm. and the sum totality of you, are you able to uh, love yourself and, and celebrate yourself? The second L, so we had to, the sixth one, second L stands for learning. So this is something I learned from Dr. Sanjay Gupta's book, The CNN Medical uh, Correspondent uh, or Journalist, where he says there are certain things that go wrong in the cognitive function, the latter part of our life. So to prevent that or slow it down, you make sure you exercise your brain just like you exercise your body. Mm -hmm. And the way to do that is to make your brain learn something new and complex every day. It might be trying to master a new language or trying to learn to play a new musical instrument or reading a very complex, dense piece of uh, scientific literature or economic theory, whatever it is, just give exercise for the brain. So that's learning. And then we are down to the last two for S. First is sleep, seven to nine hours of sleep, ideally be in bed before midnight and wake up with the sun. And the last is the social connections, which you talked about a lot. So those are the eight things that encompass the metals formula that I found actually works very well for me. And I made it a daily priority, even if it's for a few minutes. And most days I'm able to stick to it. And let's say someday I'm busy, I'm traveling, and I get only six of the eight done. Mm -hmm. I still feel like I am doing something good that I didn't have as a structured daily habit before. I think this is the the future of healing and the future of healthcare. I think every and soon we're going to have doctors prescribe this as a part of their prescription along with their medications. I feel that the, that's I how the healthcare is going to evolve. Well, I hope so. Maybe I should. But this is what we do in Sita Maybe, maybe I, should, I should copyright or trademark that metals formula. And 
And Gobi, tell us about your experience. What brings you back to Sita Ram and what do you get out of it? And what is that that makes you come and see this is the change that is happening? Yeah. Like there are so many people who ask, why should I come and spend two weeks there? I'm, I'm so busy with everything that's happening. This two weeks is a lot of time for me. Uh, and I don't have the time for that. Exactly, yeah. So um, And knowing you, you always sell... My biggest limitation is I just have 24 hours. Let me looking at how you, but you still find the time to come and do that. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd not really looked at or studied Ayurveda. I didn't know much, but I was aware of it, mm -hmm. but I had very limited understanding. And then I saw I have friends of mine who study it and talk about it. So it's kind of curious. And one of those friends said, you should go try it out. And so I did many years ago. And then I dove a little deeper into the science behind Ayurveda. And I liked what I saw. The, from a concept perspective, I like the fact that it approaches it health from a holistic perspective mm -hmm. and, and looks at your whole body as a complete system and tries to address it from working at a total system. And that appealed well to me. And second, it seemed to approach it using what I'd call very soft and nature-based methods mm -hmm. as opposed to chemically pharmacological interventions. Nothing wrong with it in certain cases that may be needed, but this seemed very, very wholesome. And it emphasized many aspects of that wholesome and it seems to fit into the metal formula. Mm -hmm. For example, nutrition was a big part of it. Sleep cycle, surrendering to the circadian rhythm, as you call it, all of that. And none of them were in any way, I didn't have a cognitive dissonance around it. Each element of it seemed to make sense. Uh, you're surrounded by nature. You and you go through specific programs and processes that seemed kind and gentle to the body. And most importantly, how it made me feel at the end of it was tremendous. And I mm. come out of it always glowing internally, physically. And so that for me is the number one signal. And of course, a few times I've had body metrics actually measured. Uh, which I did this time also. In terms yeah, of, we did the blood reports yeah, before and after. The metabolic panel. So all of that, the numbers look tremendous. And I said, so it works. I feel good. And when I look at my numbers on the metabolic uh, panel, it looks fantastic. So mm -hmm. it makes sense. And yeah, the time is, uh, it also understood that it's a very slow process. You can't rush it. There is no accelerated process to it because nature has its rhythm, the body has its rhythm, and you have to surrender to it. But I personally don't mind. I feel like it's one of the best investments I can do. Mm -hmm. And again, my rationale for that is I put in the time, it renews, restores me, and I do use the time to do a lot of things that I often don't get time to do. The time during my Ayurvedic retreat is a time for me to read, do deep thinking, and slow down, think about the next year. So I use it in, at a different pace than what my normal life is. Uh, so I don't feel like it's a waste of time. I feel like it's a good <laughs> investment of time for my container, the internet, and also the time is used in a way different from how time flows in the rest of my life. But I come back to it because now I feel like it's an annual fine-tuning. Mm -hmm. Again, if you have a race car, you periodically make, need to take it out of the race circuit and do some maintenance and fine-tuning and overhauling and and uh, at least a lubricant oil change. <laughs> so treat of the Ayurveda retreat as doing that to my body, my brain, my whole inner neck. It's an overall to your body, yeah. mind, and spirit. <laughs> and then I've experimented or talked to other people who've gone through it, specific intervention where you have a particular problem with your digestion system or your sleep or uh, in this case, and I'd come back from two knee surgeries and I said mm -hmm. the knee is still kind of feeling stiff and sometimes painful and I want that address. And it seems to deliver results for me on mm -hmm. uh, many of those dimensions. Thank you, Gobi. I think uh, this conversation, I'm sure many people would listen to it and see a beautiful future rather than thinking future is bad or things yeah. like that. And uh, I feel we as a human has a phen phenomenal coping mechanism to come out of some of the even though we might create something bad, but we we have the ability to come out of it and to make it much better, much more fulfilling, much more loving. Yeah. 
yes the history is filled with that but we also we always see a lot of transformation absolutely i want to close this off in that case with just this uh, thought i want to leave with your uh, uh, listeners and viewers and that is that this is the most important resource that we have in our life because as you mentioned in the beginning all of our life experience has to be filtered by this layer not just food but my interaction with art and music and good ideas and uh, meetings and conversation everything has to be processed by this layer this is also the same piece of technology that is responsible for a self expression mm-hmm. and whether your self expression is your leader of a business and organization and coming up with the ideas or a musician you're a chef all of the self expression also comes from this so if you take responsibility to put this internet into a state of peak performance you experience life at a peak state you express yourself at a peak state and the good news is you can do it nobody else can and you don't need anyone else's permission you can actually make just changes just have the intent and you will find you the way out it. of it but there also that comes with that <laughs> challenge only you can do it exactly <laughs> so you have to take unconditional personal responsibility say i am going to it's non negotiable to put my inner net into a state of peak performance i think if there is one takeaway from this conversations that we've had is you are really the person who is responsible for your health correct and well being and you can do that and you will have all the choices and with all the technological developments that we are having we are having more access for the right guidance the right advice the right nutrition the right medical intervention whatever is required absolutely yes. yeah <laughs> thank you gobi it was fantastic thank you so much vignesh a pleasure being in your studios